0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and I'm delighted to talk with you again this week about pressing issues related to ministry leadership, and this week particularly leadership in local churches. The Southern Baptist Convention is uh, currently working on a process to bring new focus to evangelism. Uh, the president, has uh, Dr. Steve Gaines, has appointed a national task force to address the issue of declining baptisms and uh, that as an evidence of declining emphasis on evangelism in our convention and particularly uh, in our churches. I've been asked to be on that task force and so I've been giving a lot of thought to this issue of how does a church lead, uh, how does a church uh, develop a strategy by which it can increase its evangelistic uh, efforts and effectiveness over time. Frankly, this is not a new concern of mine. Uh, my uh, seminary training focus was on evangelism and missions. Uh, As some of you may know, my first uh, ministry responsibilities was uh, uh, as a pastor and a church planter, and particularly as a church planter in Portland, Oregon, honing evangelistic uh, 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 strategies was significant in order to plant the church in a very secular location and see it grow to strength and vitality. So, thinking about strategic uh, planning for evangelistic success or evangelistic progress, has been a long-standing concern of mine and over the years i've really distilled it uh, distilled that kind of strategy into four major headings and i'd like to talk about each one of those with you today i think there are four issues that have to be addressed in developing an evangelism strategy for a local church i think that uh, each one of them presents a problem that we have to confront and then some solutions uh, to that specific problem. So I want to walk you through that material this morning and help you think about what it means to develop uh, strategic approaches to evangelism in a local church. Well the first reason that churches struggle with evangelistic effectiveness is actually spiritual opposition. Uh, The devil and the world system that he manipulates conspire against us uh, for evangelistic progress. I think starting at any other place uh, really is not only unwise, but will lead to great frustration. Our primary problem is not methodological or philosophical or even theological. Our primary problem is spiritual. Uh, We're facing uh, an onslaught of opposition to sharing the gospel, and that is both Uh, in the confrontation we feel by our culture, but also in the just subtle undermining of energy and commitment to and uh, effectiveness in this particular area of ministry. And all of that uh, conspires against evangelistic progress. So if this is uh, the first problem, that spiritual opposition is opposed to evangelistic progress, then what's the solution? Well, the solution is to launch a prayer ministry Specifically, that prays for evangelistic progress and evangelistic success in a church. Now, there are really two ways to do this. First, you can start a standalone prayer ministry, meaning that you gather some people who take on the task specifically of praying for your church's evangelistic progress or success. A second way to do this is to combine um, a prayer ministry with a visitation or evangelism training program. Now, I'll talk more about that later in the podcast, but what I mean here is that if you have people that are committed to going out and sharing the gospel or who are committed to doing evangelistic projects to try to win people to faith in Christ, you make sure that every one of those people has someone paired with them who's their consistent prayer partner praying for their evangelistic success, their evangelistic progress. Now, this has a lot of implications, but one is it involves more people in the process, and it also involves people who... Uh, May, because of illness or age or simply uh, lack of uh, courage or lack of of ability to go out and actually talk with people face-to-face about the gospel, an opportunity to be involved. And so you don't use it as a a default or a cop-out mechanism, but you do use it as a way to involve people who might not otherwise be able to be involved in the process of building an evangelistic uh, church. So you're going to, first of all, to confront spiritual opposition. Uh, focus your prayer ministry either by starting a prayer ministry specifically geared to praying for evangelistic success or progress, or you're going to tie your current evangelism training or visitation or outreach projects to prayer more specifically by inviting people and encouraging people to get a prayer partner or even assigning people as prayer partners who might otherwise not be involved. Now in thinking through this uh, over the years, I asked myself uh, the question, does the Bible really say anything specifically about praying in relationship to evangelism? And so I studied the New Testament prayers, our instructions to pray, and really discovered that there are at least five specific ways that the New Testament advocates we pray in relationship to evangelism. Now, I don't have time on the podcast to go into each one of these in detail, but let me just overview them for your future study. First, we must pray for more people to start witnessing. In Matthew nine, thirty five to thirty eight, the Bible says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The Lord, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So we must pray for more people to start witnessing. Second, we must pray for more opportunities to share the gospel. In Colossians chapter four, verses three and four, the Bible says this At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah. And so, using the analogy of praying for a door to be opened for the message of the gospel, I know that we can pray for more opportunities to share the gospel. Third, we must pray for bold insight into sharing the gospel in today's world. Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. Pray also for me, the Bible says, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak as I should. This prayer is a prayer for boldness, yes, but it's also a prayer for insight into being able to speak the gospel, particularly into the context or setting in which this person, Paul, who wrote this, was living. So the same is true for us. We must pray for bold insight into sharing the gospel today. And then we must pray for the gospel to be more rapidly received. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, the Bible says, Finally, Pray for us, brothers, that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and be honored. It's appropriate to pray that the gospel will spread rapidly. While most of the time we think of the gospel spreading incrementally, one person after one person after one person, it's also important to pray that the gospel spread rapidly. And then finally, and perhaps most pointedly, in Romans 10, chapter, one, or chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says we must pray for people to be saved. He said, brothers, my heart's desire and earnest prayer to God concerning them, of course concerning Israel, is for their salvation. And so Paul prayed for people, a people group if you will, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, these are five specific prayers or instructions to pray in the New Testament that are directly connected to evangelism. And so the first step in developing a strategy for evangelistic success or progress in a church is to create a prayer ministry that's specifically focused on evangelistic progress. And that can be done by creating a standalone ministry or coupling a prayer ministry with existing outreach uh, projects or outreach programs. But nevertheless, the first step is prayer. A second reason churches struggle with evangelistic effect- effectiveness is they have leaders who do not model effective evangelism in their own lives. This, now, the solution to this is simple. As a church leader, you have to set a personal example as a witness in your community. This means that you have to find a way to connect with lost people and witness to them. Now, most Christian leaders find far uh, find so many opportunities to, sp- to fill up all of their available time doing things just for Christians. We can spend all of our time leading Bible studies, going to prayer meetings, planning and leading worship services, strategizing programs, meeting with troubled people, and believe me, I know all of that is significant, and I've done all of those things throughout my ministry. But it takes real discipline to carve out some time every week that you're simply devoted to working in your community to share the gospel, not as a Christian leader, but as a Christian. Now, all through the growing up years in our family, uh, our children's growing up years, I was invested heavily in the youth sports community. I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it was a natural fit because my children were playing sports and in, in all different sports throughout the seasons of the year. But also I did it because I I enjoyed the culture and I found myself easily connecting with the people there. But I tried very hard to make this more than just a child or sports focused time in my week. I tried to make it a time when I went into those contexts always aware that I was representing the gospel and trying to build relationships, make connections, and have opportunities and seize opportunities to talk with people about Jesus Christ. Uh, That was a fruitful area of ministry for me, and so repeatedly uh, I was able to stand up in front of my church and say, this is my friend. I met this person at T-ball. I met this person in basketball. I met this person in Little League. I met this person through gymnastics, and having met them and developed a relationship with them, I've shared the gospel with them, and they've now come to faith in Christ. When people see you doing that, they know that it really is more than just lip service for you to try to get them to start witnessing to their friends, but that you're actually modeling it for them. Evangelism is a, is a difficult part of church ministry leadership. It's something that, yes, we teach others to do, and yes, we challenge others to do, and yes, we cre- create programs and opportunities for others to do it well. But unless people see us doing it ourselves actually being invested in people and working with people to lead them to faith in christ uh, all that we're teaching them to do will be undermined by the absence of our personal example now while i've been at the seminary for 10 years uh, i worked as the chaplain for the san francisco giants and during that time i was able to share the gospel with many players and their families see many of them come to faith in christ Um, and have that outlet, if you will, or that example, if you will, that people knew I was personally invested. And this required a significant time investment for me. Um, I had to devote about 15 weekends a year plus multiple other days of the week throughout the baseball season to the Giants. And you might wonder, well, how did you do that with all the demands of being a seminary president? Well, I did it because I made it a priority. And I realized that that a commitment and that uh, modeling was vital to the rest of my effectiveness in what I did in as in leading our school. It was interesting Uh, over the years I've been asked several questions by students about ministry leadership but the most oft asked question has been uh, about my personal witnessing and personal disciple making responsibility with the Giants and it wasn't just because of the notoriety of working with professional athletes it was because students were fascinated by the fact that the senior leader of their school was actually modeling for them what we were trying to get them to do week by week, which was share the gospel, train people who come to faith in Christ as in a discipleship process, and help them learn what it meant to live out their faith. I was actually doing that, not just talking about it, and that's always been a fascinating part of what students wanted to know about my ministry leadership. So the second reason that churches struggle with evangelistic effectiveness is their leaders do not model effective evangelism in their lives. And the way you can fix that is to set a personal example as a witness in your community. Find a way to get connected to people who are not yet Christians. And find a way to do that outside the church projects or church visitation or church ministry you're doing. Find a way to engage your community as a Christian. Uh, through your children, through your uh, spouse's activities or work, uh, through, in, through uh, interests or hobbies that you have, find a way to engage people and model what it means to lead others to faith in Christ. All right, a third uh, obstacle or a third reason that churches struggle with evangelistic effectiveness is the failure to create a sustainable strategy for consistent personal evangelism training. Churches fail at evangelism because they don't have a strategy uh, for continually and perpetually training people uh, in personal evangelism. So uh, the solution is pretty simple. You have to create a sustainable, consistent personal evangelism training program in your church. Now, I'm not going to recommend a specific program today on the podcast because I think there's several good ones out there. But you have to make a a decision about which program fits your style best, which program fits your setting best, and then adopt that and begin to use it uh, consistently to train witnesses over time in your setting. Now some of you may be super creative and be able to develop your own program, but frankly I'd discourage you from trying to do that. I think it's better for almost every person to choose a program that's been developed by some other highly creative person who has field tested this for several years and developed it to a point where it can be shared with others, I think for most of us, that's the better approach. Now this became very personal to me a number of years ago when I was a pastor. When I first started out in pastoral ministry, I was uh, very zealous for evangelism. I wanted as many people as possible to come to faith in Christ, and I wanted to win every one of them to the Lord myself. And so I spent um, lots of time in my early years of pastoral ministry in personal evangelism work, and it and it showed some fruit, and I was glad for that. But it also raised my frustration level because I felt like often I was the only one in my church who was really focused on this task. And so from time to time, I would preach messages trying to motivate my church to, to get with the program of evangelism. One particular Sunday, I preached a blistering message in which I really uh, confronted my church about their unwillingness to evangelize, their cold-heartedness about evangelism, and their just overall lack of zeal in this area. Now, when I finished my message uh, and finished the closing prayer, I looked up, and standing just inches in front of me was one of my most committed and devoted members and, frankly, one of my most committed and devoted supporters. And this man, through clenched teeth, said to me, don't ever do that to me again. And I said, do what? And he said, don't ever preach to me about something that you've never taught me how to do. And he turned and walked out of the church. Now, because of our relationship, I, I took this as more than just a critical attack or an offhanded comment. I, I realized that this was a significant moment, and I needed to pay attention to what was being said to me. So I talked with him later about his comment, and I realized that while I had been aggressively evangelizing and trying to model that, and then preaching and trying to get other people to do it, the missing component in our church was I had no continuing strategy to teach people how to share their faith. And so um, I decided to go and get some certification and training about how to do this in a particular method that was popular back in those days brought that method back to my church and selected two people uh, to start training in personal witnessing. And I spent about 12 weeks, a semester if you will, uh, training them every week, giving them homework, working with them in role modeling, taking them out and letting them see me, share my faith, and then gradually introducing them to the process and letting them do some of the witnessing and sharing as we went. And during that first semester, there were just three of us, but a few people did come to faith in Christ, and God encouraged us to continue the process. And so at the end of that semester, we now had me and two other people that were trained. So we all selected two people for the next semester, which meant that now we were training six people uh, in personal witnessing. And this continued on for several years. In fact, uh, it continued on Uh, in such a way that it became really a part of our church's life that people wanted to participate in and get this training because they saw the difference it was making in the lives of their fellow church members. Now, the culmination of that uh, effort really happened at the end of the third year. After three years, uh, we had a couple of dozen people that had now been trained in evangelism and were actually regularly sharing their faith with other people. And in February of that particular year, um, I was away most of the month on doctoral studies. Now, the way my doctoral program was set up, I was away during the weeks, and I only flew home on the, on the weekends, and I would come in and just preach on Sunday and then go back for the rest of the month-long study period. But I tried to be at my church on those Sundays. And so on the four Sundays of that month, I flew in, preached, flew out. On those Sundays, 22 adults came forward in the worship service and said they had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and wanted to be baptized. And I had not led one of those people to faith in Christ. Every one of them had been led to Christ by someone in our church who had been witnessing and working, in some cases for months, but culminating in that month of harvest now the reason that was so significant to me was because of course obviously i was happy that these people had found salvation in jesus christ but even but beyond that it was also significant because it showed me that if i would train people and trust them to share the gospel they would actually follow through and get the job done so how do you or or what are some keys to this kind of training program well first you have to make sure it's sustainable Don't choose a program that's too complex or that can't be managed or that's too expensive. Choose something that's sustainable that you can do over the long haul. And then second, you have to commit to it for an extended period of time. I don't know any fixed number of years I would put on this, but I would say don't start an evangelism training program that you're not willing to commit at least three to five years to fulfilling. The reason is because of, some, of, of of the compounding principle of training impact. You know, the compounding principle related to money is, you know, you put a little money away and you leave it there and the interest compounds year after year after year. And one day you wake up and you have a very significant amount of money. The same thing happens with training. When you start out training people, especially in an intensive program like this where you're training only one or two people at a time, uh, you know, you, you train people Uh, and you only have a couple of people that are joining you in the task. And then those people train, and then those people train, and then those people train. And you have some breakdown because some people don't complete the training, and some who go through the training are really not equipped to train another person. But there are always some who are. And so um, it doesn't work out perfectly, but it does work out with what I call the compounding principle, and that is over time, where you may start with one or two, you're going to wind up with dozens of people, who've been trained, and many of those will continue the process of sharing their faith long after the training is complete. And if you commit to doing this over a three to five year period of time, what happens in a church is people start talking to each other and saying, listen, I've been through this. You need to go through this. Man, this really helped me in so many ways. It'll help you too. Man, I'm seeing the joy of me sharing my faith and people coming to faith in Christ. If you want that, you need to get the training and get, get out here and start working with us. That kind of uh synergy or that kind of energy that takes place in a church really begins to make a significant difference over time. So spiritual opposition from the devil, confront it with a prayer ministry. Leaders who don't model effective evangelism, get busy modeling. Failure to create a sustainable strategy, find a sustainable strategy and commit to it over the long haul and realize that it's just something that has to be a part of the ebb and flow, the warp and woof, the ongoing daily, weekly, monthly grind of what it means to make disciples. And then finally, another reason that churches struggle with evangelistic effectiveness is the failure to use, um, the the failure to value and use a balanced variety of evangelistic approaches. Now, there are three broad categories of evangelism strategies. And um, I want to give you three quick definitions, and I want to talk about what those look like in church settings, and then make some comments about using different strategies to reach more and more people with the gospel. The the three categories of evangelism strategies are these. First, there are attraction strategies. An attraction strategy is a Christian event or a program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Attraction strategies. Events or programs that accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Then there are engagement strategies. Now, these are events or programs designed to extend ministry to unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus So attraction strategies call unbelievers to come and hear or come and experience. Engagement strategies send believers into the culture or into the community to meet some need and to make some difference in the lives of people and thereby share the gospel. And then the third category are what I call infiltration strategies. Now infiltration strategies are the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. Now, infiltration, deployment of believers. I choose that word deployment carefully, and I'm going to talk about it in much more detail in the next podcast. But it's the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. Now, let's talk about illustrations of each of these. Let's consider sports, for example. Uh, an attraction strategy might mean having an athlete come in for a rally and you invite unbelievers to come to the rally and hear the athlete speak. An engagement strategy might be that your church creates a sports program where you say our church is going to form a basketball league or a volleyball league and we're going to invite the community to participate in our league. But an infiltration strategy is training church members in your church and send them out as coaches for the youth sports programs in your community. Um, I'm aware of one church that has a group of people that meet together uh, four times a year, and they are the people in their church who've banded together to coach youth sports in their community. They're not coaching in the church's sports program. They're coaching Little League. They're coaching Pop Warner football. They're coaching YMCA basketball. They are coaching in the community, and they see that as a way to infiltrate community with the gospel, make friends, build relationships, and, and, and introduce the people to Jesus Christ. And so they meet quarterly to pray for one another, share best practices, talk about success stories, share struggles they're having, infiltration strategies. Another idea would be Bible study. Um, An attraction strategy would be inviting someone to come to your Sunday school class or your small group saying, would you like to come and study the Bible with us? That's an attraction strategy an engagement strategy might be starting a bible study in your community saying for example we're going to start a bible study in an office building or at a plant we're going to start a bible study in the community and invite people to participate for example i know a church that uh, is in a community where there's a a mine that has a lot of shift work and so they discovered that those men who get off work at 11 or 12 o'clock on saturday night weren't coming to their Sunday school or weren't likely to be attracted to their early morning Sunday school on Sunday morning. And so what they did was they started a Bible study um, at the work site that started 15 minutes after guys got off work. And they could just stay for another 45 minutes, have Bible study there, and begin to engage the Bible that way. That's an engagement strategy where you take the ministry to the people. But an infiltration strategy, that's volunteering as a corporate chaplain. That's saying, I'm going to go into the workplace, extend myself there with the gospel, and I'm going to meet people on their turf, in their place of business, and I'm going to share the gospel with them there. So, uh, that's what it might look like with Bible study. Now, here's another one. What about working to reach children? Well, an attraction strategy would be um, opening a children's home or an orphanage and saying, we're going to bring children here, care for them, and thereby share the gospel with them. An engagement strategy might be an after-school mentoring program. We're going to launch a program for our community, and we're going to engage people by that means, and we're going to share the gospel with them in that context. But an infiltration strategy would be joining this state-run foster care system. That's going into a system and sharing the gospel with people in their context. I'm familiar, for example, with a church that decided to become the primary care, primary foster care provider for their county. This is a church in the western United States where you might think that would be resisted by foster care leaders, but instead it was welcomed. They were so desperate for good foster parents that they welcomed this initiative, and it gave the church opportunity to send people into a community of people, the foster care system, that really need to hear the gospel. Now, these three primary strategies or approaches, attraction, engagement, infiltration, Let me make some comment about these now as we close out. First, all three strategies have value. I'm not advocating one over the other. I want us to see that all three have value in different situations. Second, synergy between these can make all three more effective. For example, it's great that these foster care parents who, who are infiltrating that community with the gospel can bring people back to church with them to experience the attraction strategy of worship services that are designed to help people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it's helpful in, when you have an engagement strategy like operating a youth sports program uh, that you can then invite people <clears throat> to come into a uh, attraction service with you or to an attraction event with you and hear an athlete speak. So <clears throat> these are best used when they're used in conjunction with one another. But I also want to add this third, uh, this third point, and that is the first two, attraction and engagement, are increasingly inadequate for reaching secular people. If you don't believe that, drive around on Sunday morning and see how many people are totally ignoring uh, the so-called attraction strategies of churches, even those that specifically and pointedly are trying to reach people with the gospel. We have to find ways to infiltrate communities. We have to find ways to to send people into their office place of business. Uh, into their factories, into their sports teams, into the gyms where they work out, the coffee shops where they hang out. We have to find ways to equip Christians to go into all of these places with the gospel as infiltrators, if you will, as people who are there trying to percolate the gospel into all these possible locations. Infiltration is what is most lacking in today's strategic approach by most churches. We're too far dependent on attraction strategies and engagement strategies and not doing enough to train people to be personal witnesses where they live, work, and play. And there's one other reason why, there are a couple of reasons why this is uh, why this has developed. The first one, as I've already covered in the podcast, is it's just really challenging to maintain a witness training program, and that's the only way you can really train people to individually themselves go into the communities where they live with the gospel. But the second reason that... Uh, uh, that this is more di- that infiltration strategies are more difficult is because in attraction and engagement strategies, the church has control. We set the tone, we set the standards, we control the environment, and so therefore we gravitate toward those strategies because they feel safer. Infiltration strategies you have no control. I remember, for example, when I was the chaplain of the Giants, I once went to the World Series with them, and was planning to do chapel for them. We were in a visiting stadium, and the chaplain for the visiting team had arranged for us to have a room to have chapel. Five minutes before that chapel was to begin, a national media person came to me and said, you can't use the room, we're using it for interviews. And they just took over our room and started using it. You may say, well, that's not right. Well, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. I was on their turf, and they get to set the rules. And so we had to scramble to find a way, and fortunately, we were able to have chapel uh, in the weight room, sitting around on weight benches and on mats. But we ma- managed to get it done because our room got taken away at the last minute. See, that's what infiltrators have to deal with. We we go into environments where we're not in control. We go into offices, and we go into uh, community buildings, and we go into workforce play. Uh, we, we go into workplaces. Uh, we go into sports organizations. We go places where the gospel has needs to be heard, but where uh, there's no control of any environment or any rules or any possibilities of how that's going to be shared. We have to go there and do it uh, in what is sometimes a difficult environment. But somehow, we have to find a way to infiltrate our communities with the gospel and i think that uh, raising the bar of commitment to that approach is going to be essential for us as we go forward well these are some ideas about leading your church in evangelism progress and success about developing some strategy to confront four major problems with what i've given us four major suggestions to confront those problems Uh, Whatever you do, find a way, because we have to turn the tide of reaching more and more people in our culture and around the world for Jesus Christ, and we need to do it now. It's an urgent issue, and I plead with you and implore you to try to take seriously what I've said today and put it into practice in your location. Well, it's time to get back to work, so lead on.